Good evening, everyone. So we continue our discussion of Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu, the description of Bhava Bhakti. And the last class we touched on the description of the qualities of one in whom the 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 bud the bud ankur of bhava appears. So we have the bud and then it's it flowers. And both the bud and the flower here are different stages of the manifestation of the the stayibhav. We had question from Dual Chandra's last class or the class before about the difference between ruchi, asakti, and, and bhava, and as much as it's sometimes said that one's, one's budding, if you will, or, or about to bud relationship with Krishna in ruchi and asakti. Um, uh, in asakti that uh, one's Sarup is, is glimpsed, maybe, hmm, something like that. Um, and so, of course, the idea is that, that in, in, in Ruchi, Ruchi is a taste, and a taste is specific. It has to be specific in order to have a corresponding object that's specific. An attachment to the object of love of God is characteristic of Asakti. These are the higher stages, latter two stages, last two stages of Ruchi. So a particular taste... Mm, for bhakti develops, material desires are retired, and it, it's it's um, specific, and it has a corresponding object that one becomes attached to. That's the meaning of asakti attachment, and so with attachment to the object of love means Krishna in a particular form, particular qualities, and so forth. Uh, that uh, they have they correspond with the sentiment, budding sentiment of the devotee. So this attachment to the particular form corresponds, awakens in asakti, and the specific taste of ruchi is still there, attachment to to bhakti is still there. And there's a correspondence, obviously, between the object of love and the and the one who's perceiving the object of love or doing doing the loving. So there's some that's why we say there's some some glimpse, some sensibility of Bhakti Manotakur then, for example, has said this is this is a, a stage in which one can really effectively engage in uh, contemplation of one's Sarup, hmm. prior to asakti, he, he, he says it can be troublesome. Hmm. Um, so let it arise naturally and, and, and so forth. So the attachment to the object is, is, is from a particular perspective. So, but in bhava bhakti, then the, the, the sprout is there. I give example of roots going down and something coming out of the seed, but not yet popping above the ground. So in bhava bhakti, it's the, the sprout. It appears, 
and um, what might have been understood theoretically and is is now the vantage point from which there's an ongoing culture of Lila Seva in Baba Bhakti. So, so um, all that said, it's all kind of underneath the ground, if you will, and internal, and and there are at the same time external symptoms of the sprout of bhava, hmm? and. These are very useful to us. Um, I've said before that the observable characteristics are useful uh, in determining the guru, shabde parejanishnatam brahmana upashamashrayam, for example. Um, that's very practical because, as I said, we could say whatever. He's dancing with the gopis, but... <laughs> but uh, 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 you can't necessarily see that. That may be sub- your subjective, you know, conclusion or guess or a way of projecting and so forth. But hmm, for the from an objective point of view, those uh, qualities that we could look to as indicators, this is very valuable. So Rupa Goswami has, has given these, hmm? and. Even there are some other external symptoms like tears, horripilation, and the sattvika babas, which are very extraordinary. Um, but as we'll hear as we go on in this chapter, they may appear in someone who doesn't have bhava. A shadow of them may appear. They may appear, but they're, what they're about is different because they come from a different orientation. Hmm? So it's not, it's not rati or bhava of bhakti but the symptoms come. Hmm? So they may have them and not have bhav. They may not show them, hmm? especially in the early stages when they can be covered, so to speak. Just like, and the purpose behind that, you might wonder, it is that if you have a light, hmm? if you have a candle, then, then you might want to, sometimes we put a candle in a glass. Hmm? So that it's protected from the wind. When we're out at Sargrahi and, and Govindanam's trying to start a fire, hmm, then we want to fan it. This is the same idea. Get the spark, protect the spark, bring some dry wood, you know, some smaller wood, you know, throw some pine on there, and so forth. So, so this is this, this flame hmm, of love of God in, in the form of the, the sprout of bhava. It needs to be protected. Hmm? Hmm. Um, uh, so it's 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 internal. So he may. It's thought that by flashing it around everywhere, it might go out. Hmm? Check my flame out. <laughs> oh, sorry, it went out. <laughs> Something like that, uh, because it's just. Beginning and its 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 culture is its in the early stages and so forth, hmm? and so Narutam, for example, tells in his in his um, songs that one should not share one's bhava with others. Hmm? Uh, there may be, of course, a higher stage where this is 
happens, we find in the writing of Bhakti Vinod, he did something like that um, about himself. These are exceptional exceptions to the rule, but the the principle I'm speaking about here is is understandable. Hmm? Just coming, take care of that, not everybody will understand, and... hmm? And so there's a there's a there's an internal reason for covering the symptoms, and of course there's there's no at this stage there's no external reason for wanting to flaunt them, because before Baba there might be, or before Ruchi, there might be there are material desires. So some 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 semblance of Baba, a shadow of Baba may come, and and some Bhaktivinoda writes one wants to show in cries during the lecture hmm? and that people become attracted and so forth hmm? uh, so this is not uh, this is to be become distracted oneself from the, the goal and the and the nature of the course and the culture hmm? also of course uh you, you you want persons to get involved for the right reasons. You don't want warm bodies only around. So you can do all kinds of things to get people to come and get involved for the for the wrong reasons. That'll only come to haunt you in the in the, in the long run. <laughs> so better to have persons come on the basis of the teaching. When I first, by force of circumstance, had to start my own mission, Arshi Chaitanya Sangha, I thought, well, let me just write something, make a literary contribution. I was fond of distributing Prabhupada's books, but at that time we weren't allowed to get Prabhupada's books for distribution. So I thought, well, we've got to write some books then. I had only written a letter, you know, by that time, and few of those, um, but um, I began, and so thought we had to have some books, some articles, and 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 so on. And I thought, let us develop a reading congregation, hmm. keep people at a little distance, <laughs> but let them read and identify with the teaching and so forth. And if on the basis of the philosophy they come in close, so then you've got somebody's coming in. And you're on the same page, hmm? interested based on the philosophy. Hmm? So um, Prabhupada was fond of uh, the, making the point that he had, what, 60 books or 30 books, whatever he used to say, 60 books we have and so forth. And, and that, uh, that bhakti, although a sentiment, it had a underlying foundation of knowledge. As I've said, the aesthetic of bhakti, the art of bhakti appears on a canvas of philosophy. That philosophy is the chintya beta beta, the particular metaphysic of the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu of the Goswamis. <clears throat> so, um, so for, it's very practical hmm, that uh, if, if you if you want to show some miracles or ecstasy or something, that people will come. Whatever you're saying, it doesn't matter. Hmm? And I see it now too. I, I was reading someone was saying how 
hey, in Bengal, there's oak, there's bowls, and they got a bad name. They're actually pretty neat. They do these magical things, and there's this one, this type and that. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's all kinds of things out there. You can go to the circus, too. Uh, what about the philosophy? What about the... I mean, that's the ground that Vrindavan arises out of. Pujapachita Marsh gave the example, and I've cited it before myself. I think it's a beautiful one that that the uh, United States of America has the biggest and most powerful military industrial complex, but you do not see tanks and missiles and machine guns everywhere because if they were marching on the streets like that, I guess they're starting to do that now, it, <laughs> it intimidates people. Hmm? And the peaceful um, intercourse between social intercourse is, is somewhat inhibited by the guy with a machine gun over there. So that's all kept in the background, underneath the ground, and so forth. Um, but should the country become attacked, then it all comes out. It's all there. Hmm? So Brindaban, he said, is like this. All that knowledge, the opulence, the Aishvarya of knowledge, it's all present in Brindaban. It's in the ground of Brindaban. Hmm? When, when, when Bhakti Siddhanta Sarskitako heard from one of his missionaries, early missionaries, that they have some questions in Europe that we cannot answer. He replied, from the dust, particle of dust from the feet of Gorkashor Das Babaji Maharaj, all questions. It can drown all the knowledge of the world. It can extinguish, you know, override, whatever. It's more powerful. This was his um, idea. So the dust there is... Chintamani, Dham, Shiramarsh compared to our gurus are in the dust and in the, in the grains of sand on the banks of the Jumra, in Ramanreti. Hmm. Prabhupada put his temple there, Ramanreti. What was it? The pleasure sands of, it's the name of the area. Hmm. It's an area, incidentally, where Krishna and Balaram would play along the banks of the Jumra with their friends. Prabhupada happened, just happened to get, a, get some land donated there and build a Krishna Balaram temple. Hmm. So, so the, the point is that in Vrindavan, hmm, all knowledge is there. All the knowledge of the, any jnani, yogi, any um, aishvarya of the uh, knowledge of, of Krishna's godhood and so forth. You might find it by Kunthor, Dwarka, or Mathura. Um, but it's, it's characterized as Gyanshunya, where a land where the knowledge is, is, is um, absent, Gyanshunya Bhakti, Bhakti with absence, because, it, because it, it's stored away, so to speak, because it gets in the way. To know that Krishna's god, for example, gets in the way of the exchange of intimacy in love between the Brajabhasis, the residents there, and and Krishna. But when those, for example, handmaidens of Radha, young 13, 12-year-old girls of the Braj, come to this world in their sadhaka days, as Rup, Sanatan, Jiva Goswami, and in this world, there's a need for knowledge. Then we see an extraordinary measure of knowledge uh, manifest. Hmm? 
nana shastra vichara naikani panosa dharma samstapako lokanun hitakarano tibhuvane manyo sharanyako and compassion. Hmm? So they took from all the revealed scriptures and compiled what we, we refer to now as the bhakti shastras. Hmm? And they, they, they built the foundation of the Chaitanya Sampradaya. So those girls are pretty smart up there. They're pretty learned. Hmm? And uh, young boys and village people and, and so forth. But the, but the knowledge is suppressed there. Hmm? The bhakti is so powerful that the knowledge is suppressed. And therefore, there's a possibility of, of intimacy. Hmm? So... So, at any rate, um, we we want people to come and be involved, if you will, be on the same page with us, stand on the same ground. If the art and the beauty, the aesthetic, the the the, the rasa, the emotions, they're going to arise out of a ground of advaigantatva. Bhakti Siddhartha Saraswati Thakur used to say that bhajan is performed on the ground of Advaigyantattva. So Advaigyantattva is another way, if you will, it's a term from the Bhagavatam, another way of saying the ground here is a Chintibeda Beda. Hmm? And on that ground, when we're standing on that ground, then real bhajan can be performed. Hmm? Uh, your practice will be well informed. Hmm? So, rather than, and you know, they're out there. You have this Sai Babas and stuff, you know, vomiting up, you know, pieces of gold and stuff. People are like mad after that. And I mean, Prabhupada used to say, you know, if you can, if you can manifest a piece of gold, one out a whole mountain of gold, then it's solve all the economic problems. Right? If you're God, Hmm? Why only a nugget? Hmm? Why only a you know a watch or whatever they do? You know, a, a golden egg. You know, uh, if you could manifest gold and solve all the problems, and, and then you're going out asking for donations to feed the hungry people, because hmm? a lot of these swamis are engaged in such, such philanthropic activities and so forth, good as they are under themselves. But if you're God. Why you got to have to ask other people? You can manifest gold. Why not, you know, go to reach into Fort Knox with your property city, extend their subtle arm over there, and pull out a couple of bricks <laughs> every day. And, uh, you know, there's no taxes on that stuff. So these displays are uh, made little of. Hmm? By the Goswamis and the Acharyas in our line, and the emphasis is on the teaching. There's so many books. Look at this book, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, about ecstasy. Somebody wants to show a little ecstasy or something, and people may swoon at that, and that could be imitated for that matter. Hmm. Where's his book? Well, the, the, the book that Rupa Goswami's written about the n- nature of ecstasy. We might think he knows something something about it. Hmm. Um, and, of course, it's all about, really, the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, hmm? the likes of which which actually was manifest because it just couldn't be contained. Hmm? And the likes of which we don't find anywhere in the religious or in the secular world. 
So if you're interested in ecstasy, as I said, we did that magazine, Ecstasy was one of the titles when we first published the Clarion Call. It was our most popular one. So <laughs> we had the picture of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu there in Rathiyatra. So um, here, at any rate, uh, the point is that, uh, that there are some observable, reliable symptoms that we can look for, and um, they will be real indicators of Baba, whether or not there is fainting and passing out and, and so on and so forth. Hmm? And uh, so we, we go into them um, <coughs> a little bit tonight, such a useful way in which he's approached this, this topic. So, he says, Chantir avyartha kalatvam viraktir manasunyata ashabandha samutkanta namagane sadaruchi asaktistad gunakya jnane pritistad vasatistale ityadyonubhavasyur jata babankure jane. So these are the Jata Babankur, Kurejana. This is this is for the people, uh, Jana, who have the uh, the Jata Babankur, in whom the, the the sprout of Bab has taken birth. They will exhibit these qualities. They are. I'll read them out for you. He described them as anubhavas, or characteristics, external characteristics of a person who has developed the bud of bhava are as follows. Remember, the thai bhava has a bud and then it has the flower. And the flower and bearing fruit, it's rasa. The bhava is called rasa. The thai bhava is called called bhava. It's, it's a stage of bhava in the budding stage. And when it combines with the other ecstatic ingredients, and they merge together, it becomes rasa. Hmm? So technically speaking, there is a difference between Sakyabhav and Sakyarasa. Hmm. Although sometimes they're used interchangeably. The Anubhavas, or characteristics of a person who has developed the bud of bhava, are as follows. Tolerance, not wasting time, detachment from enjoyment, pridelessness, confidence in the Lord's mercy, longing for the Lord Taste for chanting the names of the Lord. Attachment to discussing about Krishna's qualities and attachment to living in the abode of Krishna. Hmm. So he'll go through these. Some of them he'll give examples for. Hmm. Um, but overall, they, they're somewhat, as I say, uh, observable, and this is very, very practical. And this is when we when we can... Uh, how we can apply the the uh, the term that Prabhupada used to like to use to describe bhakti as as a, as a, it's a science. So it means there's a system to it, hmm? and so in science you want a, objective data from which that you that you can observe in a closed environment and then make a conclusion. Hmm? This happens repeatedly, and then so we have a conclusion. Something like that. So here's observable data. We say uh, our uh, saint is 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 a, is a bhava, but uh, and this means that he or she is liberated. And because bhava is a stage of liberation, but prem has not yet 
develop. So there's a reason for still, for a culture, continually ongoing culture. So how do we know? You know, somebody wrote a book, Conversation with God. It was popular. It was three or four volumes. You know, so. And then somebody else said, I had one too, and then, you know, said, your book is bad, and, <laughs> and so on. So, so here are, we have an observable criterion. There's other criterion I've mentioned before in relation to the guru. It applies to all devotees, but it's very, again, this is worth emphasizing, a very practical point. You can bring this to the public. It's kind of a science. We, we see these observable characteristics. They're hard to imitate. Hmm. They are indicators of something going on inside that's invisible, that's subjective, that's talked about, but we can't see it. Hmm. We can see it as we grow in ourselves and, and, and enter into that inner world. Hmm. But point being here is our faith is not blind, it's a seeing type of faith. Hmm. We do have... We have a, a science, if you will, a system. Hmm? So it's important to know it, to understand it. So here, the first of these qualities, tatra chantir choba hetav api prapte chantir ashubitatmata. Tolerance, he says, basically, is defined as follows. Tolerance means being undisturbed even when there is a cause for disturbance. Now, this is in relation to the person, to the individual. We could see that Hanuman became disturbed, became angry on behalf of Ram, lit lunk on fire, and so forth. That's uh, another thing. So we may be disturbed for the, for the cause of the Lord, for the in the service of the Vaishnav, and so forth. And, of course, it's the guru's business to be disturbed, so it's a little confusing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's another thing. So he gives an example. He says, Yata Pratame. Hmm? So Pratame, in the first canto of the Bhagavatam, it is said, Tan mopayatam pratyantu vipra ganga tyadevi dritachittamishe First candle of the Bhagavatam, he says, Tolerance of a Bhava Bhakti is illustrated as follows. Parikshit Maharaj, the great Raj, speaks, O Brahmins, just accept me as completely surrendered soul. Let Mother Ganges Representative of the Lord also accept me in that way, for I have already taken the lotus feet of the Lord into my heart. Let the snake bird or whatever magical thing the Brahman created bite me at once. I only desire that you will continue singing the deeds of Vishnu. So this comes in right near the end of the first canto of the Bhagavatam, the 19th chapter. First canto, 19th chapter, 15th verse. Prichet Marjorie, of course, is, is a big subject in the first canto. The first canto begins with the three verses, the invocation, seed of the of the book, and uh, then the, the, the sages inquire from, uh, uh, headed by Sonika, of, of Sutta Goswami, 
They ask certain questions in the first chapter. The questions are answered in the second and the third chapter and the fourth chapter. Then a narrative begins of how the Bhagavatam that Sutta Goswami heard from Sukadev, because he was in this assembly where Sukadev spoke to the Raj, that's just about to happen with this verse. The Raj has sat down on the bank of the Ganges, he's been cursed to die, and so forth, so Sukadev will come. So Sutta was also there in the assembly, and he mentions this to the sages, and he's going to repeat and answer their questions based on what he heard from his guru, Sukadev, who spoke the Bhagavatam. So the history of the Bhagavatam then comes out in the fourth chapter and fifth chapter and sixth chapter and a little bit in the seventh chapter. And, and there's Vyas and his despondency and then there's Nard is coming and giving him the remedy to his despondency, which is basically to enter into meditation and ultimately rewrite to a second draft of what was the Bhagavat Purana hmm, that he'd already written that then becomes more known by the Goswami's terminology and also in the terminology of the of the other Puranas as the Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm. Um, so, again, the history of the book, and it reaches the point of the sages then asking again that, that okay, it was compiled by Narada, or compiled by Vyasa and so forth, and and uh, he spoke it to Sukadev, but why did Sukadev want to hear it? He was already a self-realized soul. What, what, what he had a purpose studying a book, and the answer is given. This book contains, it deals with a subject that's post-liberated. Liberated souls would be attracted to. It's very extraordinary. Hmm. And so when they answer, when Sutta Goswami answers like this, then the, the question comes about Parikshit Maharaj. Well, so that's interesting about Sukadev. Tell us about the Raj and so forth. And so he begins to speak about Parikshit Maharaj. It's like the seventh chapter. It's, I think there are 19, 19 chapters of the first canto. And so in the course of doing that and other related topics and tangents come in hmm, in the preceding chapters... I mean, he begins with telling the story of, of the um, uh, uh, the chastising of what is his name, the Brahmin Ashvatthama, who threw the Brahmastra at um, Uttara, in whose womb was Parikshit. Mm-hmm. And so then the whole story of Ashvatthama is there, and how Draupadi dealt with it, and so forth, and so on, and. Um, it leads into the the prayers of of Kunti and and uh, uh, and the uh, that uh, the story of Bhishma and it it, it sounds a little disjointed but it's not the way the way the book goes and and uh, and then Yudhisthira's lament hmm? what happened the Kurukshetra divorce so many people have died I guess that 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 leads to the to Bhishma's going to see Bhishma, and then the instructions of Bhishma come, great Mahajana, very extraordinary, and so forth. And then uh, what, uh, um, the uh, the story of Parikshit's birth, and how he was so powerful that he counteracted time. Hmm? 
uh, the implication of his chastisement of Kali. Kali's time was there. He stopped him. But what was the, the, the so? It's a real of a considerable glorification of Parikshit Maharaj is building up and building up and building up. Hmm? And um, um, suddenly then, in the later chapters, maybe chapter 18, um, 17, 18, he is out in the forest and um, he comes to a hermitage and he's thirsty, and he sees the sage in the hermitage is is meditating. What's his name? Samika. Samika Risha. He's meditating, or Parikshit Marsh think, thinks maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's faking. Hmm? I'm thirsty. I'm the king, hmm? and he doesn't. So he doesn't give me any water or anything, and he even acknowledge me. And so he, I guess he, he killed a snake, and with the tip of his bow, he took the snake and garlanded the sage with the snake as a way of showing his displeasure. Now, the point I'm making here, of course, it sounds very, you know, he's, he's ticked off at the guy. Hmm? We're citing him as an example of tolerant. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of upset. But the point I'm making is, with this build-up through the chapters, you're supposed to understand he is a very extraordinary person, and something very uncharacteristic of such a person has just occurred. Hmm, what's behind this? So there may be instances in which very exalted devotees do something uncharacteristic. And what we have to do is we have to play it out and see what was the result of it. Hmm? You take the Parashara Muni, and he was a s- sober sage, and he saw, what, a fisherman's daughter and lost it and uh, and had union with her on the riverside, and that's very, seems out of character. But then Vyas was born. Hmm. So... Great devotees are moved by Bhagwan in different ways, and sometimes they even do things that may be unbecoming, but we know that they are um, not arising out of the same consciousness, if you will, that we might do those things. We know that by the extraordinary results that follow. In this case, of course, as we're, we're seeing, Prakshit Marsh. Uh, was uh, had disrespected the the sage. He went away, and they began to think: Was he really in a trance, or was he just faking it? And that he had his good qualities again start to show up, and he, he has this introspection about what he did and so forth. And, and meanwhile, the son of the sage, Shringi, hmm, Shringi. He he gets upset. He says, "Who does this king think he is? He comes to my to the, to the Brahmin's hermitage of a sage, a rishi, meditating on Brahman." Hmm? It's a it's a really nice point that I'll bring out here. Is that he was meditating on Brahman, and Parikshit Maharaj was a Mahabhagavata. Hmm? So. They were two. In, they were two in actually very different positions, and Parikshit Mars' position was extraordinary. Hmm? 
he was a great devotee. And uh, and service to them in any small way is better to be involved in than entering into Brahman. Hmm? Because it creates a prospect for you. Sridhar Maharaj gave the example, someone may be the CEO of a 10-story building and living on the 10th story penthouse in the 10th penthouse suite. Another person in the building next door, which is 100 stories, may be a doorkeeper. So their positions are very different. Hmm? And um, so the man may drive by the 100-story building, see the doorkeeper, and think, there's the doorkeeper. And then he goes to his building, goes up to his suite, or from his 10th floor, he can look down sometimes and see the doorkeeper in the other building, Hmm. thinking, I was in the street like that once. Here I am in the 10th story now, just see my position and so forth. But the point is what? That the position of the doorkeeper is better. Hmm? Why? Because he is working for a 100-story building, and when he he has the prospect of working his way up and making the 10th-story CEO look like a doorkeeper hmm? as he looks down 90 stories at that guy. And uh, so it's just an example. But by connection hmm, with bhakti, we have a much higher prospect. Hmm? And bhakti's all about... It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And of course, you know the right person to tell you you should know something also. But this is the thing really to know. It's, it's that there are people worth knowing and serving and associating with and keeping that association. In bhakti we advance by sangha, not by detachment. And our knowledge that we, we gather is only as good as we use it, as I often say, to soften our heart and engage in service. So it's a different way of arriving at, at, at knowing and progressing and so forth. So, Prichet Marsh's position was was super extraordinary. Not that not that that not that devotees will therefore mistreat Brahman realized persons. Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did that to some extent when he was young and nutty, and he'd go on the banks of the the Ganges and bathe with his student friends, and then he'd see the meditators and he'd splash water on them and disturb their meditation and say, I'm the object of your meditation, standing before you, like this, he would say. <laughs> but we are respectful to all this, the sadhus. So it's not that I'm saying Pritchett Marsh had every right to, to garland him with a snake like this, but something larger, some larger event was being orchestrated through Parikshit Maharaj by Krishna. And of course it's ultimately the, the, the speaking of the Bhagavatam. So anyway, he, he, as he left there, the son of the sage became upset and said, who's the king think he is? The, what, is, what, is what, what has happened in Kali Yuga? Hmm? Here it is, the beginning, and the kings think that they should be respected more than the Brahmins, and they disrespect the Brahmins and the sages. Hmm? What will become of the world? Of course, Prabhupada put a different twist on it. He said, here's the Kali Yuga, the beginning of the degradation of the Brahmins. Hmm? In the form of a Brahmin boy, didn't know better, and what did he do? He cursed the king to die in seven days from 
um, the bite of a snake bird. And I'm not sure what that is. Snake, the snake bird. Therefore, it's a snake bird or whatever magical thing, whatever. But um, when his father heard this, he was upset. So he could understand the king was was an extraordinary devotee. And, and so if a great devotee does something that's somewhat out of character at the time, we have to overlook that in light of their standing and devotion. Who knows what the reason behind it is, and so on and so forth. We have to analyze what is the measure of their faith, try to see the measure of their their enthusiasm for hearing, chanting, preaching, living in holy places, creating holy places, and so on and so forth. All these things. Um, someone quoted me um, on the internet, and it's not something I said, but I've said something like it. He said that, I heard that Swami Tripurari has said, don't tell me what you believe, tell me how you spend your money. Hmm? No, it's not a bad thing. I said, I don't want to know what you believe, I want to know what you do. Hmm? Anybody could say, I believe this or that or the other thing. So, you didn't get quite, quite right, but, it, but it's the same principle, because you can say, I believe this is how you spend your money. It's money is meant to be spent, so how you spend it is really what you believe in, where your faith is and what you're all about. Hmm. Right? Side point there. What was my point? So... Raj, the degradation of the prominence and the degradation of Kali Yuga. And the judgment of people based on a circumstance that we may not right. really understand. Right, right, right. <clears throat> yeah, so we should judge people by how they use their money. <laughs> what they, We're going to understand what they believe in by that is my point. Uh, so, at any rate, he did something that was out of character. Shall his whole p- the picture of them, him, them, then be uh, based on that or based on the greater balance of his life and so forth? And so, the son, anyway, cursed him and the father was upset that you know, you've made a big mistake, he's a great devotee. Better, better, uh, great, great soul, and you've cursed him over a small thing, hmm? over a small thing. Hmm? So how the sage took it. He came to my ashram. I was in a trance. He was thirsty, and he got a little agitated. It's such a small thing, and you've cursed him. So Prabhupada looked at this as, oh, the degradation of the Brahmins is the characteristic of of Kali Yuga. I think that's the way he wrote about it. The son was saying the degradation of the Chatriyas, you see, in Kali Yuga. They don't know how to honor the Brahmins. Hmm. But his own father said, oh no, you're wrong, what you've done. Hmm. Um, uh, The kings, of course, position is glorious in one sense, but in another sense, not so at all. And more so um, in its is the emphasis of the Bhagavatam. position of the king is worldly. Hmm? And uh, Prichard Marge himself would say later in the, in the 19th chapter that I'm blessed, here I am. He took the curse as a blessing, but he went to the bank of the Ganges, got association of sadhus, and so on and so forth, which is ordinarily not something that kings get to have. 
they're not really kind of welcome at at the ashrams because the ashrams are not about worldliness and kings are all about worldliness. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would not entertain the idea of having uh, giving the darshan to the king of Pratapurdu Maharaj in, in Puri. Because he thought, well, if, 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 it, if I'm seen with a... King means worldliness. He's got everything. The man who has everything. Harem and whatnot. So I'm a sage, a sadhu, a sannyasi. These are opposite ends of the spectrum. There's many stories in the Bhagavatam of kings and so forth. They're making this point again and again and again. What is worldliness? Hmm? In great measure, for that matter. Hmm? when it is at the cost, it is a biblical kind of saying, at the cost of one's own, knowing one's own soul, all the wealth one can acquire. These are simple points that are brought out in the stories, and people like the stories and tell them, and they never even get the point sometimes. And they're going again and again. They're very simple points, but they're very profound points. And if you put the three simple points that you can get intellectually, although people read sometimes and they don't even get that that's what's really being said here, they're contrasting many of the stories of the king's worldliness with spiritual life. How they don't go, material acquisition and spiritual life don't go well together. But if you get the point, put it in place in your life, then it's huge. So, kings typically were personified worldliness. So when the king later on, Raj, he speaks about himself. Oh, he's so introspective. He's so introspective. He's so um, willing to find fault in himself rather than in others. All this, again, he had all these good characteristics before this, this one event, and after how he responds to it is extraordinary. And how he responds to it, of course, is, is the discussion tonight. He was cursed by the son, the Brahmin's the son's father was upset with the boy, chastised him, and thought, oh, this, is, this would be terrible if this would happen. He was such a saintly king. He was a saint at the same time. And what will happen to all those that he's... I mean, this guy interfered with Kali Yuga, staved off Kali Yuga. Again, he could stop time. Hmm? This is Marge Brickshit. He could stop time, and the point is, he was cursed to die in seven days. We already know that he could stop time. Hmm? So he had the power to stop the curse. We already know that. Hmm? In seven days you will die. He had the power to turn it into 70 yugas, if he wanted to. He could play with time like this. Stop Kali Yuga. Although he gave him some room. Hmm? He said Kali could not proceed in the presence of Maharaj Parikshit. Kali is, is a reference to time. Hmm. And so here he has a certain time, he's cursed, and he could have stopped it, is the point. But he didn't. He took it as a blessing. So this is the high form of tolerance. We find Mahaprabhu Chaitanya Dev speaking about tolerance in the stage of Nishta. Hmm? He says, like a tree, you should be tolerant, that stands and tolerates the the uh, you know the elements the heat the cold the rain gives shelter to others at the same time that's taking the example further there's two types of tolerance tolerance in the gita and tolerance in the bhagavatam the gita speaks of 
Matrasparsha stukuntaya situshna sugudukuda. Agama paino nityastam sitikshashvabharata. The, the, the fruit of which is liberation, the next verse says. One who can tolerate heat, cold, happiness, distress, good and bad, all of which arise from the senses and the mind and aren't a true reading of the nature of reality because for you it's hot, for me it's cold, for you it's bad, for me it's good. It's all relative to the goggles that we're wearing, what color glasses you have. Hmm? When one can see through that, it becomes heir to to liberation. He becomes free from from the senses because those are the readings that we're following, hmm? and um, making our our personality is kind of being made out of that. This is good. This is bad. This is happy. This is sad. Hmm? So, to undo all that is to is to undo the the knot, the world knot, as Schopenhauer called it, the world knot. Hmm? Ankar, false identity. So this is a kind of a stoic tolerance. Of course, I often say that this this tolerance has to be combined with the idea that's emphasized in the Goswami's teachings, in Gaudiya Vedanta, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that you need to find a favorable place for your spiritual culture. You need to come to Saragrahi. Mm-hmm. You don't have to stay somewhere else where there are criticisms of your teacher or yeah, all kinds of unfavorable things. We uh, we, we create a, so we, then then in the context of the favorable environment, we'll tolerate others who are there for the same reason, but there we have some some clashing of personalities and. Whatever, there's always going to be things to tolerate. You don't have to look, go look for tolerance. A couple of my governors have told me, you know, you should come back to such and such institution because then you, you know, you would have, it would, it would be a good opportunity for you to tolerate. I said, I don't need to look for tolerance. I got to tolerate you guys from a distance, even. You know, <laughs> And there are other things to tolerate. So I don't have to, the, the calling is, and the teaching is, go look for tolerant things to tolerate. Tolerate the things that come in the context of a favorable um, environment. And the environment is not favorable, then we talk about it, and we try to adjust it. Hmm? And, and, and there may be difficulties, even in a favorable environment, which is sadhusanga, and kind of the teaching we're, we're giving in our group, for example. Hmm? So... So at any rate, this, this kind of tolerance of the Gita is important. Then the Bhagavatam speaks of another level of tolerance when it says, Tatenu kampam susamikshamana bhujane vatmakritam vipakam ridvagbapu birhiram namaste jiveta yomukti pade sadayavak. Again, in the language of Sridharmarjan, the poetic rendering of it, what did he say? The environment is friendly. So this is what we see here in, in Raj Parikshit. This kind of tolerance can can start to come theoretically at any time, but really be in practice in asakti, and ultimately it's a characteristic of bhava, wherein, so it can't be imitated. Hmm? Uh, So wherein what? Things that are unfavorable 
or turned into being favorable. This is the way Sridhar Marsh read the verse. The environment is friendly. Hmm? Things are happening to me and and it's it's great because they're bad, it would appear, but it means that all my, my karma is being taken away. These obstacles are being taken away. They're criticizing me. I've said before, I've thought at times that some of the people who criticize me the most, I should get their picture and put it on the altar. There's so much to be learned from them. How not to be... Hmm? Uh, so this this is the this is a, this is the full measure of tolerance where in inauspicious things turn into auspicious things. It's a particular reading. So Prichit Marsh, how inauspicious is this? He's cursed to die by a snake bird in seven days by the bite. Hmm. And here he is in the midst of being a king who's got man who's got everything. And so, but he did, he could counteract the time, but he didn't counteract the time. He took it as a blessing. He said, now this gives me opportunity to get association of sadhus where I wouldn't otherwise. I'll take off my robes. I'll take off my crown. I'll sit on the bank of the Ganges. And he got surrounded by so many sadhus. Good association. He had the Ganges. He paid respect to Bhagwan, to the Ganga. Hmm. God in, in liquid form, as it's thought. Hmm? And, and, and now I, I, all my attachments are taken away. Krishna's arranged this. He's, thinking this. He's turning an awful event into something very auspicious in his life. Hmm? This forbearance, Chantir, this first characteristic, hmm? it's also... Forbearance, tolerance, it's also sometimes uh, translated as forgiveness. So he did not blame Shingi for the curse. No, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Hmm? I read about the Boston bomber hmm? who made a bomb, terrorist bomb for the some Boston Marathon some years back, and uh, I saw something about it, and he and he I just glanced at it. But he, the point that I caught my attention, look at it in the first place, was that his the somebody died in it. I guess maybe one girl died or something like that. Other people were injured, but the parents of the victim did not want him to have the death penalty. Of course, they just probably just didn't believe in the death penalty. But in any way, there was some measure of forgiveness of the uh, of the um, perpetrator hmm? in them this forgiveness is, is is said to be the quality of the brahmins hmm? you wonder why they're cursing but i mean that was the problem with shringi he was chastised by his father for this what to speak of for vaishnavas hmm? forgiveness hmm? no one can hurt us that's what we should personally speak. No one can hurt us, only ourselves. So he, in great measure, it's a very nice example that Rupa Goswami has given, showed this quality of forbearance, of tolerance, of, of forgiveness. And he took it on his head and joyfully sat on the bank of the Ganges, and the whole canto is building up to this point. We've been hearing about him, and then 
going on a tangent about things related to him, Conti and Bhishma and the battle and so forth. He was a survivor, hmm? right? The grandson of Arjun, hmm? survivor of the battle of Kurukshetra and so forth. And and uh, and he, this was his situation. And he, there he sat on the bank of the Ganges. And of course, what's going to happen is, is the second, just as the chapter is ending, Sukadev starts to come on the scene. Oh, it's just so, you have to be on the edge of your seat right there at the end of the first canto. Hmm? That Bhagavatam that has been glorified, hmm? it's been spoken about in three verses in the beginning, Nigamakopatro, Galitam, Palam, Sukamukatam, Matadrabasam, Vitam, Pibata Bhagavatam, Rasam Malayam, Huraho, Rasika, Bhuvi Bhabuka. This is the subject, Dharma Projitakaita Votra, Paramonian, Matsaranam, Satam, Vedyam, Vastavamatar, Vastu, Shivadam, Tapatrayonulanam, Srimad Bhagavate, Mahamunikite, Kimbapara, Rishvara, Sadyohade, Avaritite, Trakti, Bihi, Susuvis, Takshina. This book, hmm? Janmadiya, Siyatahan, Vayadi, Tarata, all this, Satyam, Param, Dima, this book, and then, and then, and then how it came to Vyas, how, how Sutta, who was questioned by the, by the sages, headed by Shana, had heard the book. Huh? And, and, and for, based on that, he's giving wonderful answers to the questions. Hmm? And then they want to know the history of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? And so he gives the history, how it came to be manifest in its present form in twelve cantos from Vyas and the, with the council of Narada and the life of Narada is there and so forth and the essence of the Bhagavatam spoken in twelve verses from Narada to Vyas hmm? and Vyas takes that goes into trance and right and you just now it's, it's and then some <laughs> some of the players in the Bhagavatam are you know the principal player Parikshit Maharaj Sukadeva and the questions about them in the context of talking about Parikshit other important persons are brought, and now we come to the end, and now it's going to be spoken. Sugadeva is going to come, and it's going to start. So this is a second beginning. Starts again in the second canto. What will he say? What will the sage say? And here he comes naked, and kids are throwing things at him, and because he seems like like a externally, he's not aware of the external world, and Hmm? So he couldn't, didn't appear to be able to communicate with them in, the, in, in, in normal terms because he was in an abnormal, supernormal condition, and now he's he's going. He he, he Parikshit Mars curse has resulted in the way he, the way he conducted himself that caused the curse, and the way he reacted to the curse, which puts again the curse in perspective. It's giving rise to the speaking. The Bhagavatam, this ex- super extraordinary event in the Puranic history, hmm, that gives rise to the to the to the Srimad Bhagavatam Amalam Pramanam, Amalam Puranam, Amalam Pramanam, Srimad Bhagavate. What is it? Um, anyway, it is the uh, Amalam Puranam, the spotless Purana. It doesn't deal like the other Puranas do with the Rajaguna, Tamaguna, Sattvaguna. It deals with Bhakti, Nirguna Bhakti. Hmm? And, and Nigama, and, 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 and Amala Pramanam, the spotless evidence, that hub around which all the scriptures revolve, the conclusive, as Jeeva Goswami has shown 
in Tatvasandarbha. And now Sukadeva is going to begin to speak what will he say. Hmm? Hmm. So, this is, anyway, Parikshit Mars, a very nice example of forbearance. And of course, we add to this not only how he reacted to the curse, which was uh, brought about because of his agitation over his thirst. Hmm? We add to this that he sat down on the bank of the Ganges and fasted from food and drink for seven days. So again, Merson, I don't know how he did that, but uh, uh, he, he maybe not drink, but for, for seven days he fasted. Hmm? Sometimes he said food and drink. I think the text says food. You're supposed to die after three days, but he could probably, without water, but isn't it? But anyway, so he was very controlled is the point. Hmm? Let us say this. His senses were controlled by Krishna. Hmm? Hmm. He had bhava. Hmm. This bhava is, is like, if you take the examples given by the Goswamis, if you take sulfur and mix it with mercury, you get something. I forget what it is. But it doesn't happen right away. It doesn't happen right away. It has to keep, you have to keep mixing them, keep mixing them gradually. Then it, so by mixing bhakti, by bringing bhakti onto the antakaran, the subtle body, the chitta, manas, buddhi, ahankar, hmm, over and over and over, gradually it breaks down the antakaran and it melts in the bhava hmm, that you've been trying to mix it with, takes over and, and takes over the antakaran. Hmm? Very extraordinary. So his 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 senses, his mind is so for the were controlled, hmm? driven. Hmm? He had the bhakti vritti on his chitta, and it was a there was a wave. It was like a tidal wave, hmm? and so to drink. This was his food and drink. The nectar of the words of Sugadev, repeating the Bhagavatam, and in the in the assembly, Vyasa was present. Narada was present. Well, they already knew the Bhagavatam. What were they there for? Such is the nature of the Bhagavatam. What will the boy say? He's heard the Bhagavatam. How will it come out from his lips? Hmm? They didn't. They didn't say. You know who needs this Sukadev guy? He's just a kid. We've got Vyasa and Narada. They know the Bhagavatam. Hmm? No, everybody came. They didn't suffer from the problem he brought up to Lal last night. Hmm. In Kali Yuga, what is the problem? People, people think that the previous acharyas were great, but there's none around now. And then, then you die, and they, he was great, but there's none around now. <laughs> Something like that to take advantage of. No, Nard himself, the guru of Vyas and Vyas, the the, 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 the who taught the Bhagavatam to Sukadev, they wanted to sit there and hear it again hmm? and learn from it and relish it such an assembly. And so, in that assembly, the Pritchett Marsh's attention was such that he wasn't distracted hmm, by the desire to eat. Hmm. So, again, the fact that he was all miffed about not getting a drink, you know, when he was thirsty, this is all some other divine arrangement. We see the nature of his, his self-control or 
extent to which he's been controlled by bhakti, conquered by bhakti, bhakti has taken over his, his life. And with such earnestness and attention, this is the kind of student we should be to hear the Bhagavatam. This is Nasta Prayeshu Abhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Seva and more. With such a, such attention. So we, this is the king. He could have had anything. Gave it all up to hear the Bhagavatam on the bank of the Ganges from a 16-year-old boy. So... He is an example. He had, of course, more than Bhav, but he's, he's a, nonetheless he's cited as an, as an example of this type of tolerance. This is one of the characteristics, an extraordinary example. We may see different measures, obviously, but something objective to look for. Hmm. When we're looking for the measure of someone's internal subjective experience, it's a very important point. I'm just, we started with them. I'm just going to emphasize it again because this is the common thinking. Subjective is like just who knows, whatever. One person thinks that, one person thinks this. We can't rely on that. We need objective evidence if we're going to have some ground, firm ground to stand on. Hmm? So I call it objective, sub, objective subjectivity. Hmm? where there, the subjectivity, the internal experience, has an, uh, appears objectively in a certain form hmm, that we can observe that would not be possible hmm, without having standing in the subjective experience that the person t- talks about. Hmm? So, objective subjectivity, <laughs> and this this is this is where we seek to to take, you know, the argument, if you will, against religion in the world to another another level, bring objectivity to it, mysticism, inner experience, this, that, that there that there is uh, uh, something in there, and it's and it's you. Hmm? And there's firm ground to stand on, and so forth. And uh, and for such persons who have these external characteristics, observable characteristics, even from different traditions, we find they have something in common. They're speaking about it as Brahman, as Paramatma, or as Bhagwan. Hmm? In in Gyan, in Yoga, in Bhakti. So. We'll stop there. Any questions? Yes. Um, in this you say the intelligence is fully engaged, and then in Bhava it's covered. Maybe the, the knowledge is repressed, if I'm understanding right. And so it seems like at some point there's kind of a shift from knowing to being known, maybe. So I was wondering if you could talk about how that progression takes place, like at what stage that begins to shift? Well, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a shift from proceeding by by knowing to proceeding by feeling, by taste. And, uh, you know, we're always doing a little of both. But in Nishta, I say the intelligence is active and, and, and engaged. And there's there's... 
there's reasoning about what you're doing and acquaintance with the scriptural argument and so forth and so on. In Ruchi, intelligence is still operative, although the heart is starting to lead. In the stage of Ruchi, there's still some um, doing out of knowing, in, in a sense. The, 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 and when you get to asakti, then the that 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 um, intelligence becomes less. Not that people become less intelligent, but it becomes less of a of a of a um, I used to say instrument or yeah, instrument. Uh, yeah. Hmm. And, and of course, in Baba Bhakti, then it, you, you're not doing it because for it's without any, without any, for any reason, hmm? um, without without thinking about it. Um, you know, it's it, it said, uh, for example, in Anishta, you, 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 you one tries to focus on Krishna and not let the mind go here. Or there, and it keeps bringing it back. And in Asakti, it automatically goes hmm, to Krishna. Hmm. Um, so, in that way, the mental kind of functioning is not as uh, much employed. After all, it's been taken over in in Bhava. It's been taken over. So, in these stages, you're, you're moving away from kind of in, in, in intelligent spiritual intelligence. Hmm. Even it is because you're taking the directives of the scripture and and you're drawing on them and applying yourself and so forth. That takes a back round, hmm? back seat, I should say, and the taste then takes over. Yes. Uh, for those that are attracted or impelled to engage in bhakti through scriptural uh, directive, bhakti, as opposed to raganuga. Uh, does the Vaidhi fall away at this stage you're speaking of now? At Bhav. Oh, at Bhav. So, uh, so there's still the, uh, through, through Ruchi and Asakti, there's still the spiritual drive is, is most prominent. Yeah. Spirit, scriptural, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, you know, it's that... It's, it, People are different too, so sadhakas will be different, and and some need, need to know more to practice, and some don't seem to, and that's that's good. Hmm. Oh yes. Were you saying that Bhakti Siddhanta is the one that said the dust from Gorakeshwar and dust from these the enough knowledge to drown the whole world? Yeah, that was his reply to. To Europe, they have questions we cannot answer. You didn't agree with that very much. Yes. You spoke early in the class about um, the nature of one's baba and how Narachan talks about not flashing it around. Um, but sometimes, how do we understand sometimes like the sadhu might share his sentiments um, with his students, for instance, or a person 
even a person who's immature, after a year or two, he might read the Krishna book and see, you know, Krishna's got the cows and the calves and the cowherd boys and games and fruit and yogurt in his left hand and, and become attracted. And, um, and he thinks, well, I would like to be a, a cowherd boy or I'd like to be... Mm-hmm. He becomes attracted to Radharani and he thinks, I'd like to be a manjari or whatever. And we're kind of like... There's there's just a few to choose from, so you kind of like kind of get on track, and you kind of develop an inclination even from early on. That's good. Yeah. That's good. We were talking about symptoms of ecstasy, and and suppressing them, and we were talking and and um, and also in preaching to the public to bring people in and in such venues that would not be um, um, appropriate as it might be in the circle of devotees who do share realizations with one another Guyamakati Pichati what is that? hmm? Was it? No, no. Guhyam Akyati Pichate, sharing of the hearts between devotees, or the sadhu may share something. In the right company, it has its place. Everything has its place. We're talking about more the general public, the broader um, circles, and so forth. So, you know, if we give a general talk, some yoga center, we're not going to talk about. Sakirasa or something, or Manjari Bhav, but in a circle of devotees, depending on the, their acquaintance and so forth, then, you know, then it's, it's more may come out, or you talk with your guru and say, I was feeling this, and he might say, yeah, no, that's not right. I might say, yes, yes, that's good, encourage that, and so forth. So it's there. It has its place. Yes. Um, do the saints from before, because I saw this book of Kamathi, St. Teresa, do they reach any kind of level like, like, I don't know, I know they don't know what Lord Chaitanya was bringing, but do they reach any kind of level of awe or any kind of... Well, in order to... What, what Rupa Goswami is talking about a particular thing here. He's talking about Uttam Bhakti and the stage of Bhava in Uttam Bhakti. And he'll go on to say that there are symptoms of, that appear like bhav in other people, symptoms of ecstasy, but it's not bhava bhakti because their orientation is, isn't uttam bhakti. Hmm? So, uh, um, it's hard to sort out exactly what some of those persons were experiencing, because one of the things about the tradition of Catholicism, for example, you don't have a book like Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu to analyze that in such detail. Um, but there are some extraordinary saints in the history of Catholicism, that, at least from the reports, um, and some of them are, are well documented also. Um, but I, I, if you look at that tradition, I think that you'll find these saints were often very, very, um, I want to say, um, 
self-denying, like the Desert Fathers, um, such as Denai was telling about the Desert Fathers. These are kind of like some of the original Catholic mystics or something that got together, Hmm? monastics. They were extremely... Uh, austere, like tapasvis, like like yogis in the Himalayas, as, uh, in terms of their austerities of eating and fasting and and dressing and social intercourse and so forth. Very different from bhakti. Hmm? Much more of a gyan oriented type of of of, of monasticism. Hmm? Now, even while they had a god. I figure, you know, whom they were worshipping and so forth. So it would, from our perspective, and looking at it from our literature, it would appear that they had more of a Gyan and Aishvarya-oriented approach to to God. They speak of, in Catholicism, of the beatific vision. Hmm? So that kind of reminds me of Shantarasa, where there's no, the pastimes of God are not an issue, the qualities are not, just the, the form. Hmm? Um, and that said, of course, the Gita teaches that as people approach, then I surrender accordingly. So, um, there may be different faces also of, of the Godhead that, that, um, that the avatars are said to be asankhya. Hmm. So there could very well be, arguably, there could be a Jesus type of loka type of uh, appearing in a, a subjective world and they could could, could, could go there. That's um, not prohibitive, if you will, from our texts, if you understand them. Um, but it's hard to say exactly. Um, but there, you know, you, you have Teresa now that you, you find her and who was the other one? St. John of the Cross. You, you find these romantic themes. Hmm? Maybe you're thinking, I'm, I'm thinking Teresa of Avila and, uh, and her. Um, the mansions of the soul. Mansions of the soul and Christ is the, the, the being the bride, bride of, of Christ or something like that being the bride of Christ um, idea. Um, so there appears to be some similarity between that and the Gopi Bhav. But if you play that out and look at it, it's very, very different. Hmm? Their idea of being the bride bride of Christ is, is, is... Of course, first of all, the Gopis are in Parkia. <laughs> so, But there's an interesting story that reminds me of what I told before. I'll just briefly... And with that, that in Poland some years ago, the devotees were were brought into court by a Catholic nun for advocating that that there that there was a that God had like a harem, hmm? sixteen thousand hundred and eight queens, and it actually went to court, and in the court that a devotee defended as a lawyer, and he put the nun on the stand, the witness stand, and said, can you tell me about your vows? And she 
was astute enough to know where he was going, and so she, she tried to be as vague as possible. And he said, "Let me let me ask it this way: in, in your, when you take your nun's vows, do you do you vow to become the bride of Christ?" And she said, "Yes." He said, "And how many nuns are there in the in Poland? How many other in the Catholic Church? Are there more than sixteen thousand?" I rest my case. So, he said, so you, you've got millions of God with millions of wives. And he's not even God, he's the son of God. Hmm? He's got millions of wives. What kind of religion is this? And the judge ruled in the devotee's favor. Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Ki Jai. Sri Sri Gaurada Madhava Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Bhanda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi. Sorry.